0: not to worship ourselves. We come here to worship a Savior who's alive, who's real, whose power can be in your life because you cannot help yourself. God doesn't help those that help themselves. God comes into a person by the power of Jesus Christ and he becomes their help and he becomes their strength. And he becomes what they can't become. And I promise you today, if you've ever heard a word where you're going to need the strength of God in your life and in my life, it is today's word. This is a hard word for me to speak. If I was not an expositor, I would take this text and I would say, let's pick up with another text today and we'll skip this one. But I'm not afraid to do this because I teach line by line, word by word, verse by verse. And this text is something that can free some of you in this room up today. I promise you it can by the power of the gospel. Let me pray. Father, we come thanking you for the truth of your word. What a beautiful name it is. We build our life upon you and your passion for us. So I trust now that I can be a mouthpiece for you, that you would teach through me as I teach I seek to be taught myself I pray that you would guard my heart and my mind I pray that the enemy would not have any space or place in this room that this would be covered by the Holy Spirit in this sacred room that people could hear with ears that would respond to what you say to them in obedience because it's going to be real easy to hear this word and dismiss it and go on living but by your strength and your power can we pause make an obedient call in our life, and change from the position that we're in. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for the worship team and their time of uh, praise and worship. And it's Ephesians chapter 5 if you're wondering why you're so nervous today. It's Ephesians chapter 5. And my title today is this. Does the church even know that this is in the Bible? That's my title. Does the church even know this is in the Bible? Because the world sure tells us there's a way to live in a sex-crazed world. Just live in lust. Give yourself away to any passion and desire that your flesh has. And the world says nothing about sexual purity. However, the church has bought that message... And now in the church, you don't even hear a message about sexual purity. You don't hear a message about holiness. But Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the church is the one that should champion the cause in the culture. We never follow the culture. We always follow Christ. If you follow the culture, you'll have chaos. If you follow Christ, you'll be blessed in this area. So Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, let me read the text and then we'll, uh, what some of my younger protégés said before me, let's unpack this text. Uh, I'm a little old school, so I don't know what that means. I just teach it. And uh, so anyway, here's what the text says. In Ephesians chapter 5, keep in mind this. Does the church even know this is in the Bible? Well, we will today. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication, that's sexual immorality, and uncleanness, that's impurity, or covetousness, that would be another word for greed, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither the filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. May God bless his word. Paul says something about being spiritually dehydrated. There's a lot of people that are spiritually dehydrated. There was a movie um, way back where there was a crash and some guys, uh, when a ship sunk, they got into a lifeboat, and in the lifeboat, they had rationed all the water and all the food that they could, and they were told, and they told each other that we can't drink the salt water, it will kill you. However, at night, one of the guys decided he was so thirsty, his thirst was so strong that he decided to drink the salt water. And as he drank the salt water, the thirstier he became after he drank the salt water, because the salt water doesn't satisfy, in fact, salt water, drinking it will kill you, and he died. Thinking that he would satisfy his thirst, he actually died. Now, here's what's important, because water... Flushes out the salt intake in your kidney that salt water gives at seven times a greater rate, and you have to have a flushing out of that water in your system in order to live. but a lot of people, spiritually, sensually, are dehydrated because they have chosen to go after something that is thirsty from the world 's perspective, but it never ever satisfies and God says, "My way is always the best way, and so in Christ. We don't go after what everybody else is thirsting after. We only go after that which satisfies. And what satisfies me is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Once I have him, I need of nothing else. I don't have to go after false gods because I have the true God living in me. That is a setup for what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, here's what he says, be imitators of God. How are you going to do that? Because God is God. How are you and I going to be an imitator of God in this world that has gone crazy? Crazy in anger that we looked at on Mother's Day. Crazy in sex that we'll look at today. How can we be imitators of God because God is God and we can't imitate him? Now, here's what the word imitate means. It means to mimic. You know, if we were to do a mime up here, there would be somebody that would do something. They would paint a picture up here in a mime and they wouldn't say any words. So without words communicating, that mime communicates what the message is. And that's what Paul is saying here. Therefore, be imitators of God. God is the initiator of love and we are not made children of God because we are imitators of God. That's not how you become a child of God. That would be called a works mentality. That would be trying to work your way into God's favor. So we are made, uh, we are imitators of God because we are made children of God, and we're made children of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus is the Xerox copy of God, so when Paul says, be imitators of God, you have to have Christ in you, who is the exact replication of who God is. So when you and I live our life, and we are imitators of God, and his love, and his graces, and mercy is we are surrendered to his son who's the exact replica of God. Do you see what Paul's saying here? So you can't live this kind of life apart from the power of Jesus living in you. So Paul says, be imitators of God as dear children. So this is important to understand. And then he says, so he's gonna talk about, he's gonna communicate our walk with us, our walk with us. Then he says, because of being an imitator of God, Because you can't imitate God as God unless you understand who Christ is. And certainly there's characteristics of God we can't imitate. They are exclusive to God himself. But as Christ lives in us, we can be an exact replica of his love. And that's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So look at the little phrase, and walk in love. That's important. So if you're going to walk in love, you got to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling that Paul has talked about in chapter 4. And so if you're going to walk in love, it's a word in the Greek, in the original language, that means to walk in line with something to walk in time and to walk in line with something. So if we're going to walk in time and we're going to walk in line with the love of God, we're going to have to understand what it means. I have a friend who's in the military, and uh, he wanted to get away from uh, all kind of instructions, so he decided he would leave his parents' house. He said, I'm done with this. I'm going to go to the military. God bless him. He woke up real quick, like early, 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock. <clears throat> but he, I watched this guy who really had no discipline whatsoever, came back from whatever the military training is, which would be intense, and he talked about a close order drill or something along that line, and he said the sergeant would be barking out these commandments and these uh, specific things that we were to do, and he would take all of us military people, recruits, who really couldn't step in time and couldn't step in line, And he made something of our life because we learned to line up right in front of the person that was in front of us. We would learn to get in time and in line with them and in line with the people that were next to us so that we couldn't be seen. We were hidden behind the person so straight in the line that nobody could see us. And that's the way it is when Paul says to walk in love He's talking about that we walk in time and we walk in line so that when people see us, they don't see us. They see Christ in us. See, if you are a worshiper of yourself, you want people to see you. And you want people to pat you on the hand and pat you on the back. Oh, that was great singing or that was a great messenger, that was great service. No, listen, listen, anything that comes our way, we reflect it and we give all glory to God because we're in time and we're in line with him. That's what Paul says. So he says, look at the text. By the way, I'm promoting VBS if you didn't know. I'm not free and I'm not cheap. Okay, so, and walk in love. So if we walk in love, see, human love, human love says this, I will love you if, you fill in the blank, God's love, listen carefully, says, I love you even if. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done in this room, no matter what I've done in my life, God doesn't say, I love you if. You do this and you do that. God says he's the initiator of love. He's the one who has love that reaches out to us irregardless of our response to that love, which we can respond, but irregardless, he still loves us. And human love says, I love you if. God's love says, as we walk in, it says, I love you even, no matter what. There's nothing you can do to erase my love for you. So when we walk in this love, we walk in line and in time. Another way to put this, we're living proof, say it with me, of a loving God to a watching world. That's time in line. That's what it means to walk in love. Okay. Now, notice what Paul says. He's just going right through the text. Now, to walk in love, you have to understand what real love is. Here's what he says. As Christ has loved us, that's what the text says. As Christ has loved us, so Christ has loved us and he gave himself for us. Not only did Christ give himself to us in salvation, but he gave himself for us. He sacrificed his life on the cross called Calvary, and when we walk in love, we have to reflect on what Christ has done. So he loved us, and he gave himself for us, watch the text, as an offering and a sacrifice to God. That's what Christ did. See, people say this, well, Jesus... They killed him. They killed him. How terrible that they crucified him and they killed him. No, that nobody killed Jesus. The Bible says nobody can take his life. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I willingly lay down my life. So he gave himself for us so that in life he can give himself to us so that when he gives himself to us, the power of the Holy Spirit can live through us so that we now can walk in love, because you can't walk in love and help yourself in that. You have to have a power, and I have to have a power that helps me to take the first step in love, and not only the first step, but the 5,000th step has to be in a power of his love. You try to love somebody this week that you don't love very well, and I guarantee you by 10 o'clock on Monday, you'll find out you don't have enough power. You don't. Christ has the power. So notice what the text says. So, he gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So, what Jesus did when he sacrificed his life and he gave himself as an offering, this is important to understand. Now, in the Old Testament, be some Old Testament talk that he would be having here about sacrifice. So, in the temple, they would bring these lambs and oxen and they would offer, offer before God these lamb and these oxen and they would sever the jugular vein of the animal and blood would pour out over the altar. And that was how they received the forgiveness of sins for the nation of Israel. So when you understand that, that Paul is saying like just the word picture here, like they used to sacrifice those animals on the altar. Here's what Paul is saying. You put yourself on the altar of sacrifice. See, Jesus sacrificed your life, his life for, for you and for me. Now, in Romans 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, brethren, that you present yourself as a sacrifice. So we, watch this, we, we don't become... We, we, in the Old Testament, they would bring the sacrifice and hand it to the priest. In the New Testament, we just lay ourselves on the altar. We are the sacrifice. Because Jesus said, you're to live as a living sacrifice to me. And no more blood needs to be shed because the perfect Lamb of God shed his blood on Calvary's cross. We don't need to shed any more blood. It's all been shed for you. And so without the remission of, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we get that. In the Old Testament, they would bring the sacrifice. In the New Testament, we become we become the sacrifice we become the sacrifice as a living sacrifice not a dead sacrifice do you see what paul's saying here watch it carefully because he's fixing to lay a bomb on us and we must understand the context he's talking about forgiveness he's talking about grace he's talking about not a vo- not just a voluntary sacrifice but a complete sacrifice for sin he gave himself for us as an offering and sacrifice for a sweet smelling aroma so in the new testament you are the priest you don't have to take your sacrifice to a priest you go straight to the great high priest who now lives in you jesus is the great high priest i don't have to get in the booth and go to a priest i've got direct access to god i am a priest I am the holiness of God, I'm the righteousness of God, and that's all been given to me as a gift. I am the priest, I am the temple. The temple is the body that I have. I now live my life as the temple of the Holy Spirit lives in me. I live my life in sacrifice to him. So I am the temple. I don't come to the temple. You didn't come to the temple today. This structure, this building is not the temple. You're the temple. The temple is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brother John talked about that in his message this morning. It's Christ in you. And then not only are we the priest, not only are we the temple, but we're the sacrifice as well. And we give our lives as a worshipful sacrifice to him. We don't go after the world's ways. We go after God's ways and his purpose. So here's what the text says. That's a sweet-smelling aroma. That's something that God is pleased with, what Jesus has done. And then he says... To those in Ephesus, Ephesus was a city where there was all kinds of sexual immorality. Uh, The goddess of Artemis, uh, there was all kinds of sexual immorality. There were people being sold into prostitution and slavery and all kinds of things. And Paul says, because there's something different about you, because you now understand that you're a child of God, you now understand what the cross means in your life, then he says, and he puts a word but in there, look at the text, but, circle the word but, the buts of the Bible are great hinges in which great truths turn on the buts of the Bible, but you, that's what he's saying, okay, all of this is true, you're a child Uh, mimic God, imitate God, now understand what Jesus and his sacrifice has done for you and what he's doing in your life. But then he says, because now he lives in you, because Christ lives in you. We've looked at that for the first four chapters, what Christ can do in a life. Now here's what he says, but fornication, sexual immorality, and all uncleanness or covetousness, Let it not be even named among you as is fitting for the saints. You know what he's been talking about? The first four chapters have been about our identity in Christ, who we are. Now he's saying, now that you know who you are, this is how you behave. You behave in a manner that's different than the world. See, the world says it's just sooner or later before something's going to happen. How long on a date should you not, and then you engage in this sexual activity, so it's sooner or later. Here's what God says. Make sure you understand how much God loves you, number one. Number two, when you surrender to him, you not not only need to know who you are, you need to know whose you are. And when you know whose you are, you don't take God into things that are against his will. Now, this is a tough word. This is a tough word. So, the first word, verse 3, is sexual immorality. So, it's sexual immorality. So, I've got two boards here. And I don't think you'll ever forget this illustration. One of them's going to represent the man, and one of them's going to represent the woman. And I'm going to to give you a picture of what it means to live in sexual immorality that Paul's talking about, and in Ephesus. Obviously, this was something that he needed to address. So if you take the man, let's just call him today, not purple, although I'm purple. Let's just say the man... Let, let's represent him in, uh, oh, Jesus, let this work. Let's. Okay, the man, this is blue, all right? So, so that's, a, that's my brother here. He's blue, all right? Now, we're going to take, so the man, that's his human spirit. Now, this man, in this illustration, <clears throat> has trusted Christ as his Savior. So when he asked Christ as his Savior, Christ purchased him, and now he's an imitator of God, going back to verse 1. So he is to represent God. He's to walk in love. He says, walk in love, don't walk in lust. The word love here is agape love. It's only God's kind of love. So this man has been saved by the Spirit of God. All right. Let the cameras get on tight here. I'll hold this up. And so this is, this is what you have. So you have a man. This is represented. This is his human spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of God who has purchased a man by his grace and by his power, undeserved mercy, undeserved grace. But that man is white and pure, and he is new. Now watch this. Then we have Sister Girl. She's pinking herself here, all right? <clears throat> so we've got Sister Girl. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to make sure. So she's pink, and the reason I'm putting this in the middle, this represents her human spirit, and she knows not God. So you've got sister girl who knows not God. You've got a man who says that he knows God, and his life has been changed and purchased by the blood of Jesus. When a man and a woman come together, Outside, listen carefully, outside of the only way that God approves of sex, which is one man, listen carefully, one woman in a covenant marriage, in sexual relationships, that is the only acceptable thing in God's eyes. I didn't write it. Paul wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, anything else, and we're going to talk about, well, how far is too far and what's the line? You won't even care about the line when you understand that you're to pursue righteousness and holiness. You don't even care about the line. The line matters not. What matters is the purity of Jesus Christ who lives in you. So you have a man who has Christ in his life and a woman who come together in sexual immorality. And when they come together in sexual immorality, we already know based on the text that God says it's a sin. God says it's against His will. Do you know what happens when a man and a woman come together? When they do things with a man who is... You can never, ever remove the touch of that glue. There is not only a physical connection that came together, there is a spiritual connection that came together. God said, I want you to see it, God said this is sin. Freeman didn't say that. God said this is sin. And it doesn't matter in the illustration if I would have put a, uh, the lady over here and she had Christ in her life and the man had Christ in her life and if they're not married and they come together, it's still called sin. It's sexual immorality. So what happens is when we do something, That when we bring Jesus by an act of our will, when we bring him by an act of our will into an act that is against his will, then we have just taken him into an area of our life because he doesn't leave us. He lives in us. We have just taken Jesus against his will into an act that he says is sinful, and you don't bring the Holy Son of God into a sinful act and call it holiness you call it sin. Now listen, listen to me. I got good news for you. If this has happened to you, if you have done things not God's way, and you have brought yourself into a situation like this, let me tell you why God says that this is damaging. Because this is a sin against your body. That's what Paul says, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you bring Jesus in an act against his will, then you understand that you're bringing him into something that he has no business being in, but because you chose not to believe and trust in his word, and you chose not to walk in love, but you chose to walk in lust, there are consequences to sin. And listen, the good news is this, if you have done this, and many in this room have, and I thought about this last week with those of us we were praying for mothers, and there may be some of you under the sound of my voice, you have you have had an abortion. Some of you have maybe are living in sexual immorality. I want to say this to you in love and in grace and in mercy. You can be forgiven, and you can be made whole again. Listen to me. Yes, you will remember the physical act. And that's why people are in counseling today because when they decide that they don't longer love each other and they break up, they still have made a connection that God says is not a connection that's of Him. And so until you repent of that connection... That's why some of you this morning, you can't shake. When I give this illustration, you can't shake a past boyfriend or a past girlfriend because you said, I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it. Listen, the only way you cannot do that is by the power and the hope of Jesus Christ in your life. And you can be free of all guilt and shame today if you'll just bow before him and say, God, I repent, I'm sorry. And choose not to go and sin anymore. Here's repentance. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance is turning this way. You were going this way and saying from now on, I'm going to bow before you. And I'm not walking in sexual immorality anymore. Now, I'm going to say this and I know I'm getting emails and I just forward them on to staff that are a lot higher than me. What about accountability groups? I think they're good unless the purpose of the accountability group is to sit there and talk about your sexual sin and how everybody's fallen into sexual sin, you'll be in that accountability group and you'll never open the Word of God, you'll be focusing on your sin, and everybody will leave there defeated. If you don't open the Word of God and get the power of God's Word in your life, the way you overcome sexual sin is you get in God's Word, and you realize that He said it's wrong, and you say, God, I surrender to you. I I don't want to talk about all the things that I've done. I want to talk about who you are, and what you are, and what you've done for me. See, that's important. So Paul says, now, so you got the illustration. This is important. So, anything, anything, just to be clear, anything outside of the marriage realm is sin. But there is forgiveness, there is hope for anybody who has sinned in this room. Because Jesus died not only for this sin but for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so when you bow before Jesus, and when you trust Jesus, and you receive Jesus into your life, he becomes your purity, and he becomes your holiness, and he becomes your righteousness. So now, I don't need to go dipping in this well of sin anymore. I've been dipped and clothed and bought in righteousness. And so my life is now pure. So my position is I'm pure. Now practically, I've got to walk that out in love. That's what Paul's saying. Here's what he says in the text. But sexual immorality and uncleanness, look at the text, and co- or covetousness, you know what covetousness is? It's greed. It's, it's having an insatiable appetite. Do you know how sexual immorality is first? And then these other two are tied, impurity and greed. Because, see, you could be here today and you could covet somebody else's spouse. You could have that kind of greed. That's what the flesh wants. That's what the flesh does. Flesh is all we are apart from Christ. But when you worship God and not worship self, when greed comes up, you can cancel out greed because Christ in you says he's not greedy. He is satisfying in your life so you can trust him. So he says, but all fornication, impurity, covetousness, greed is not even to be named among you. It's not fitting for the saints. You know what Paul is saying here? That's not who I am. That used to define me. Hey, I've made some mistakes in my life. I made some terrible mistakes in high school. I know what I did. I can still remember what I did. But Jesus said, you know what? I choose not to bring your sins up against you, Freeman. So why am I choosing to think about the sins that I did that have already been covered by him? Now, this is important to understand. Never in the Bible are we to forgive ourselves for our sin. Jesus is the only one that has the power to forgive us. You can't forgive yourself. You're not that strong. You don't have that much power. You just say, God, I'm sorry. I've broken your heart. I've messed up. But my life still has purpose. My life still has focus because your grace not only covered me in salvation, it covered me with this sin and it will continue to cover me till the day that I die. And so, by the grace of God, I will move forward. I won't live in my past. I will get past my past because I'm focusing on who you are. That's what Paul's saying here in this text. It's not fitting for me. It's not fitting for you. It's not who we are, and it's not whose we are, so we don't have to live this way. We don't live like the world. We live differently than the world. This is important. Now, here's what he says. Now, you want to know how to overcome this sin? Okay, here's what Paul says. He tells us. He said, I'm glad you asked. Verse 4, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks Are you kidding me? I thought I'm supposed to put an internet filter on my computer. You can do that. That's a good thing. I thought I'm supposed to get into an an accountability group so we can all talk about how we're all falling and how we're all in sin. No, and that's good. An accountability group is good. But let me tell you something about an accountability group. You are accountable to God, not the person next to you. You're going to, it's God that you're accountable to. And sometimes we get in our groups and we think we're accountable to each other. I will not answer for you and you will not answer for me, but I will answer to him. I am accountable to him. And so that's important. So Paul doesn't say, if you want to overcome this sin, put an internet filter on your computer. And that's a good thing. Uh, Get in an accountability group. It can be a good thing when it's focused on the word. Paul says, give thanks. That's what he says. Give yeah, thanks? Come on, Paul, give me something more because this sin is killing me. No. When you and I focus on thankfulness, when we have a heart of gratitude, when we are so thankful that Jesus saved us, took us from deadness into life, when that heart of gratitude overwhelms us, then that's what overcomes this sin and every other sin in our life, is that we used to be this way, but now we're a different way. And the only thing that we can do is thank God for His power and for His grace and for His mercy. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He says, why don't you go back in chapter 1 and thank God that you've been adopted into the family? Why don't you thank God that you've been predestined? That's a whole nother sermon there, isn't it? I already covered that, by the way, for those of you in chapter 1. Uh, for, and then he talked about you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. So when you and I begin to be thankful in the midst of this pressure of sexual immorality and fornication and covetousness, when we begin to be thankful, the problem begins to go away because our focus is on the right thing. You never focus on the sin of sexuality or any other sin. You always focus on the one who has overcome all sin, and that's Jesus. So Paul said, Paul says right here, he said, give thanks. Oh, give me something more than that. No, give thanks to God that you have the power in Christ to be able to overcome. He lives in you. That's what Paul's saying. So it's a heart of gratitude. Rudyard Kipling was a great poet. And a guy came up to him one day and said, hey, I calculate that you get $100 per word. And Rudyard Kipling goes, well, I didn't know that. And he said, well, he pulled a $100 bill. He said, give me one of your $100 words. He said, thanks. Listen, thankfulness to God is to be expressed, Thankfulness to God that Paul said is is to be expansive. It's to expand in this area of our life. So thankfulness to God is in every area of our life. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and we are thankful that God saved us. We're thankful He adopted us. We're thankful that we're no longer in sin, but we've been relocated in a relationship with Jesus. And that's how you overcome sin, by being thankful. You should be thankful today that God has saved you by His grace because you didn't deserve it and I didn't deserve it. And the way that we overcome is by focusing on the one who has overcome. He's good. He's God. And he doesn't give us the list of things to check off. Well, you do this and you do that. No, here's what he said. You bow before me. You get on your knees and you confess your sin and you confess me as Savior and I'll take care of the rest. And then you get in God's word. You get in God's word. I'm, going to tell you, I'm telling you this. The sins I have struggled with in my life, and I've struggled with many, When I get in God's Word and God's Word gets in me, I don't even know those are things I struggled with. But if I take a class specifically on that sin, I'm overwhelmed. I'm in a pit. Nothing wrong with classes. Nothing wrong with teaching. But throw away any teaching or throw away any talk that doesn't point you back to God's Word. God's Word is true. It's relevant and it's powerful and it's active and it cuts like a knife between the soul and the spirit. Now, coming home with this. Coming home with this. Here's what Paul said. For this, verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater. He just, he just added one. What is an idolater? An idolater is somebody who worships self. So somebody can worship sex, They can worship self, and those that worship sex and worship self, and they turn everything inward, they're a worshiper of themselves. They're not a worshiper of the one true God. So that's who Paul's addressing here. He says, They will not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So what Paul is saying here, if we're going to talk about the love of God, we're going to talk about walking in the love of God. We also have to talk about the wrath of God, okay? So the wrath of God, for people, it says here, for people who live a lifestyle. It doesn't mean if you struggle with sexual sin that you're not saved. In fact, listen to me, it could mean that you are saved. Because before you were saved, you didn't struggle with sexual sin. You just did whatever everybody else did. And if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And so your lifestyle is not one of sin. It's one of focusing on God. But you may step and fall into sin, but you don't stay in sin and roll around in it and get it all over you because a child of God gets back up and says, wait a minute, I may struggle with this sin, but I have a greater power. So you can be a Christian today and struggle in this area And it may be evidence that you're saved. But here's what you need to do. You need to move beyond that and get to the point where you say, Jesus, overcome me by your grace and mercy so that I can overcome this sin in you. Paul here is talking about people who live in an idolatrous way, a fornicating way, a coveting way as a lifestyle. In other words, people who don't know Jesus their lifestyle is not one of falling in sin and coming out of it. It's a whole lifestyle of sin. So the lifestyle of an idolater, the lifestyle of a fornicator, the lifestyle of someone whose covetousness covetousness is a lifestyle of someone who does not know God. Now you may get mad at me, but I didn't write this. Paul did. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you're worshiping self or you're worshiping something else, you will die in your sin and the wrath of God will come upon you because you rejected Him and you've worshiped yourself. You've not worshiped God as God, you've worshiped yourself as God. And someone who's worshiped their self as God, who's been an idolater as a lifestyle, that's what the text says, does not inherit the kingdom of Christ. But the wrath of God in the tense means it is already coming upon them and will continue to come upon him. Then Paul says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let me close with this. Paul says, you are partakers of the divine nature of Jesus. Paul's talked about that. So we are are partakers of the divine nature of God in our life. We are to imitate God because God, through Jesus Christ, lives in us. So therefore, we have been dipped. We, are, we share in the nature of God, the God who loves us. We share in that nature so we don't have to share in this nature anymore. This is who I used to be. This is what I did. This is what I was a partaker of before. God says, but now in me... You're a partaker of the divine nature, and that's not a part of a Christian's life. Do you see what he's saying here? Here, Here's here's the only thing I can leave you with. My only hope, and your only hope, is Jesus Christ. You try. You try to overcome this sin on your own. You you try. You say, I'm not going to have a lustful thought, I'm not going to look on a person with lust. Listen, you lied already, you already have. Listen, God says through Jesus, there's a power that's available. So what I used to be is not who I am today. I am a trophy of God's grace, and so are many of you. We've been set free. Doesn't mean we won't fall into sin, but it means we won't fall into sin and lay in it and roll around it and get gratified in it because Christ in us, watch this, does not like to lay in that situation. Christ in me does not like to be taken in a place that's against his will. And if you take a person, I'm going to say it so you can get it. If a person is forced upon against their will sexually, we call it rape. That's what we call it. Now you think about this. If I take Jesus into an act that is against his will, what do we call it? Listen. You can leave here. You can leave here different than you came. We offer hope here, but we offer truth. We tell you the truth. I'm talking to some of you. You are living in sexual sin right now by the power of Jesus Christ, would you put on the new garment of Jesus today and say enough is enough. I'm surrendering my life. I'm bowing to Jesus. I'm going to get in His Word. I'm going to let His Word get in me. And I am saying not never. I am saying no to the sin right now because I am saying yes to the Savior. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, Could we invite you to trust Him and let Him come in and give you a cleansing wash of your heart so that you can fulfill your purpose in this life so that you won't be a statistic? God loves you so much. He sent His only Son to die on the cross so that you could receive the free gift of salvation and life so that you could walk in love. And if you'll say today, you know, Freeman, I've got so much junk and so much debris in my life. It doesn't matter. Bring it all to Jesus and then he makes you brand new. He'll make you brand new today. All you have to do is say, God, I come to you today. I ask you to save me through Jesus Christ, and I receive the free gift of salvation, and I receive it to the point that I'm going to walk differently than what I used to walk. He'll, he'll save you today. Would you just bow your head where you are? <clears throat> If you just give me just a moment to. If you're here and you know you don't have any power in your life to stop doing this sin, you have no power to walk in love, we want to introduce you to the one who has all power. Just say, Jesus, save me. Right where you sit. Those of you that are listening by television, say, God, save me. By your son, Jesus, I trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I repent of my sin. I turn from my ways. I'm tired of worshiping myself. I wanna turn and worship you. If you would pray that prayer, you can have new life today. You can receive Jesus right where you are and he will make you brand new. You can walk out of here and the whole thing that's on your shoulders can be lifted, all that weight, all that pain, all those memories, all that sin, you can walk out of here clean today. Now, for those of you that have already trusted Christ as your Savior, you know who you are. Just call sin what it is. It's sin. It's missing the mark. And just repent and confess to Jesus your inability to stop doing this particular sin. And God says, When I get somebody who's willing to trust me, I'll give them the power to overcome. Would you just yield to him in this moment? Father, we come in this moment of just reflection and heart. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for this message of truth. I pray that you would just miraculously touch people in this room by the power of your grace. Only you can do what needs to be done. Only you can take away the guilt. Only you can take away the shame. Only you can give somebody a new start. And I pray there would be many today that say, I want to start over the right way with Jesus in my heart. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.